God's word will be from Psalms 65 and verse number 4. Psalm 65 and verse 4 we'll be reading today. There are Bibles there uh, located in the uh, seat back in front of you, and the verses will appear on the screen as well. And that's Psalm 65 and verse number 4. Those who are able, if you'll stand at this time uh, for the reading of God's word. The Bible says, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in the courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for uh, this morning. Well, that was uh, that was well done. You uh, you can tell when people take the time to practice, and um, I know that a lot of work goes into something. I say it often. You know, we get to enjoy something that takes about three or four minutes that they typically spend hours practicing. And so, thank you all. And uh, fabulous on the piano. I don't know. I didn't. I'm not sure who it was, but it just sounded unbelievable. Um, but uh, anyway, we have been uh, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and so I'm going to read very, very quickly from Galatians chapter 5. We'll jump right in. Verse 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit <coughs> is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And our message last week was uh, we, we actually just got started with it from this passage that Andy led us in the reading, Psalm 65 in verse number 4, talking about God's goodness to us. And so I'm gonna, I'll pick up right there. Let's go to Lord in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for your help, your favor. Bless, guide, and direct our words and thoughts. And Lord, please help us. We don't deserve your help. Lord, we, we think, as the psalmist said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And God, we thank you that you are mindful of us. Lord, that you love us with an everlasting love. Lord, that you offer grace, mercy, forgiveness, and pardon. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, uh, Lord, not take that for granted, not neglect it. But God, I also pray that you'd help us to be attentive to you. And Lord, we'd ask you to speak to every heart as only you can. And may your work be accomplished, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The verse, <coughs> Psalm 65, 4, Blesses a man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Goodness, as described in the Bible, refers to uh, moral integrity, moral excellence, generosity, kindness, and the ability, the character to choose right over wrong, uprightness in our heart and in our life. It's been said that it's when God's character meets man's potential. And so last week in the lesson we covered, first of all, goodness, the goodness of God is God giving us a place. It's a wonderful thing, church. It's a wonderful thing. I, I can't imagine going through life without it. I think, uh, you know, I was thinking the other day when Rebecca was, was going through her cancer treatments in the hospital, we had so many people visit, and it was all church. There were times when our room was, was you know, 
mobbed with people. Sometimes the nurses would say, you, you can't have this many back here, and people would be waiting to get in. And then I, I'd tell my wife sometimes as we'd walk around the ward there, walking with Rebecca, and um, you'd see some rooms where they never had a visitor. And it was, it was so comforting to have God's people. It's one of the greatest things about church. And I, I said this last week, but it's now, I, I, um, and I think it's important to repeat often, and that is don't let Sunday become Saturday 2.0. Sunday is not just a second Saturday, another opportunity to get out and do this or do that. Every one of you have something you need to do, but nothing is more important than you and your family being in God's house. Church wasn't my idea. It was God's idea. God said, to, don't forsake it. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. I think so many times we're good people who good people will lay out of church and go do something else. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but they'll replace the great thing of God's house with something that is just simply good for a moment. So the first thing about God's goodness is He gives us a place, a place together. Then we notice He gives us a place to get. We get, we get the teaching, the instruction, the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart. A place to give. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we give our time, our talents, and our treasure. We think of those folks who were up here singing, the instrumentals that were played, and everybody using their gifts in the Lord's house. That's an opportunity to give. We think of the offering plate, our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. And somebody today on the other side of the globe is hearing the gospel because you gave. Think about that. Um, that I mentioned that Bible <coughs> printing uh, missionary that we, that we support. Um, and they're, they're printing hundreds of thousands of tracks to take to the next Olympics and print them in many, many different languages, and they'll have p- people there to dispense them and pass them out, and you have a part in that type of work. So it's a place to give. Then a place to grow, and every single one of us ought to be growing in the Lord. I have so much, so much room to grow, and uh, I realize I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I should be. But church gives us a place uh, to grow. And then, uh, may I say this, uh, secondly, not only do we see that God gives us a place, we see that God gives us a boost. I, uh, I was thinking as I went to that hunting camp this week with those other preachers, and I mentioned it, and by the way, we, we didn't do very much hunting. They had an anthrax uh, outbreak, and it wiped out 98% of the whitetail, uh, whereas last year we saw hundreds of Literally, I, I was sitting in blinds where you could see dozens of whitetail from a blind, and I was in those same blinds this year, never saw one. Um, literally, thousands of them wiped out from anthrax. But I, I went there and I thought, well, I want to encourage somebody, but I left finding myself encouraged. I thought, I want to be a help to somebody because, you know, and uh, boy, God's very good to me and, uh, and my family and God's given me a wife that's, you know, off the charts and out of my league, and I, I'm grateful for that, and, and great children, and uh, grandchildren, and all of those things, and God's been very, very good to me. But sometimes you, you think, well, boy, I want to I encourage someone, and I find myself being encouraged. And uh, so one of the things that we find from church is God gives us a boost. Notice Psalm 27, verse 13. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hustle through this <clears throat> this morning. David said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David had plenty of opportunities to be discouraged. And by the way, in our studies, David's 
journey through the Psalms, we, we, we did uh, the giant slayer, or the boy who would be king, the giant slayer, and tonight we're heading into when Saul tries to take David's life, and the Psalms that wrote, were written, uh, David wrote in conjunction with that era. But here he says, I had fainted. In other words, I would have lost it unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. How does, how does God do that? Well, first of all, through encouragement. Encouragement. One of the great things about church, and by the way, not everybody here is on top today. We, we don't know everybody's hurts, everybody's burdens, and some of you came in and really spiritually speaking, and I don't mean this as a criticism, I'm only saying it as a fact, some of you are really struggling. You're going through loss, you're going through disappointment, you're, uh, financial setback, physical setback, uh, any kind of disappointment that comes our way. And so sometimes we come to house, uh, the house of God, and you know what we need? We need a shot in the arm. We need a boost, and God's, God will do that. Many times we think, you know, I, it's been amazing to me over 30-plus years of ministry, now going on almost 35, how many times I've preached a message and somebody said, well, that's just what I needed, and they'll relate it to a particular situation. And, I've, and I have thought in my heart, how did you get that from that? <laughs> because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. See, every one of you that came here today, God knows your heart. He knows your need. He knows your burdens. He knows your, your shortcomings. He knows where you and I are struggling. He knows the things that we wrestle with. Uh, he, knows, uh, he knows our besetting sin. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin, the a definite article, the sin which does so easily beset us. And everybody in here came with something. Some of you came in here with un- unbelievable hurts, and nobody even knows about it. And some of you came with struggles and weaknesses. But one of the things that God gives in His goodness is He gives encouragement. And we say this so often. We look at Job and what happened in Job's life. And that didn't happen to Job for Job. It wasn't like God was saying, Job, I'm going to teach him a lesson. No, God said, I'm going to use Job to help everybody for all eternity, all the years to come. Because how many times have we drawn strength from someone like Job and we've looked at his life and the Bible says that he was upright. There wasn't anybody on the planet like Job at that time. He feared God and eschewed or ran from evil. He didn't want any, any part of it. And yet God put him through the ringer. God allowed that to happen in Job's life. And we think about that one day of, of great despair and great discouragement and great loss. And Job said, naked came I into the world, naked shall I return thither. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Really? And you know what we've done many times? We've reminded ourselves of those things. Where do you get that? You get that from the Lord. The Bible tells us about David. He's, we'll talk about it tonight because I don't want, I want to preach tonight's message today. But, but when he's running for his life and he literally gets to a place where he's, you know, I'm going to die. Saul's going to kill me. You think of Joseph when he's in prison. You talk about a guy, he's in prison wrongly, falsely accused, and is, you know, that's a bad day when your brethren sell you, you know, and make up a story of some wild beast killed him. Well, you know, here's this coat. You decide, you know, and it's got animal's blood on it. And that's Joseph. And, And by the way, not only did that happen, but that was here for 20 years, you know? When the Bible says casting down every imagination and bringing it into captivity, you know, sometimes our, our thoughts, man, they run wild. And I'm not talking just sinful thoughts, so certainly that would be a problem. But I'm talking about the imaginations that we have of, of hurt and suffering and loss, and those things just continue to play and continue to run over and, and beat us. And, man, we, we struggle with sleep. We struggle with peace. We struggle with contentment. I know we've talked about that of late, but man, I'm going to tell you something. When you come to God's house, you ought to be encouraged. 
Now, there may be some times when, when God takes us to the, you know, the old expression, takes us to the woodshed, and He lets us have it. He tells us about this thing that needs to be addressed and corrected, something that's wrong in our life, and yeah, we got to deal with that, and we want to kick it to the curb, we want to push it down the road, and we'll say, i got plenty of time, I'll take care of that then, or I'll do this then. But the fact of the matter is, we come to God's house, and God says, my goodness will, will give you a boost. How does He do that? Through encouragement. Then... Uh, We're reminded of this. The Bible says, Psalm 23, which, by the way, was also written. We're not going to cover it tonight, but it was also written around the time of of David running from uh, Saul. Surely, we all know this, right? Psalm 23. Surely goodness, goodness, there it is, from God. And mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, we think about about church, and uh, sometimes it's a struggle to come once a week. I can remember as a young boy where they had revivals and meetings that would last for weeks. And now we wonder why our culture has changed so much. I remember years ago being in, being in church where they would, they would announce they were having a, a, a revival service and they didn't tell you when it was going to end. Well, when's the revival? Well, it's starting, you know, October 26th. When's it ending? I don't know. Come on, some of you are looking at me like, man, that's weird. What we've done is we've got so many other things going on that we, you know, God gets the leftovers. But I'll tell you, he he said, come to my house. And and so David says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we think, okay, that's going to be heaven for all eternity. It'll be great there. It might not be for some of us. Now, obviously, it beats the alternative. All right, there's heaven, there's hell. There's no middle ground. You must be born again. You want to go to heaven. Don't, Don't misunderstand me. But if you don't like church right now and you're born again, you're probably going to have a tough time. You'll be maladjusted in heaven for a little while. I mean, think about it. Church is a great place, and God said, I gave you that. And one of the greatest things about the house of God is a place to get a shot in your arm. It's a boost. It's an encouragement. I I say it so many times. When you're here, I'm encouraged. My wife told me, I, I was talking to her, she picked picked me up from the airport last night, and she and Lauren, and we were driving back, and of course, we had to make a stop at Chick-fil-A. I don't know what it is with Chick-fil-A, and if you all are listening, Chick-fil-A out there somewhere in the cloud, make your parking lots more accessible. Every, every one of them, there are boogers to get in, but you know that one over in Clackamas? It's like purgatory. I mean, it really is, but I'm just so grateful seeing so many people that are, you know, uh, just so passionate about it. I was at the airport in Dallas, and there's a Chick-fil-A there. And uh, I may have stopped at it. I can't remember. It was yesterday. But um, then I was looking at everything else in that food court. There's Moe's Southwest Grill. There's Dickie's Barbecue. And there's Whataburger and all these. And by the way, any of those would be fine on their, on their own. But I looked at each one of them. One of them had no customers. One of them had two people in line. And one of them had like four. And then another one had three or something like that. There was a Dunkin' Donuts coffee place. And it, it had a pretty good line. But then Chick-fil-A, it was literally snaking. They had ropes set up for all these Chick-fil-A customers. I think, I think it's awesome. Uh, but I wish they'd fix their parking. And the, by, that, by the way, that's, remember I told you those rabbits that come? See, that was one. And I just took off after it. And I don't, I don't have any idea why. But David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And he realized, he said, boy, there were times when I was at my worst, I was at my lowest, and God picked me up. 
See, He lifted us up, the Bible says, and He set us on a rock, and He put a new song in our heart. He established our going, but that doesn't just occur at salvation. Now, realize that's a seminal point. That's a pivotal moment in our life. It's a watershed event in your life. It's the most important event. But that's not a one-time deal when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. We come to God's house, and He says, hey, I'm going to pick you up. It's a place of encouragement, God's house. Then it also gives us a boost in multiple ways. It gives us promise, it gives us provision, and it gives us protection. David would later say in one of his Psalms, I've been reading through the Psalms, particularly in this study, so we're using a lot of them. I'm throwing it in here. But Psalm 37, 25, David said, I have been young and now I'm old. He's later, this is later in life. He's on the throne. He's the king. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. What is he saying? He says, God's got you. God's taking care of you. And you may think, yeah, but I don't have this or I don't have that. And, and, and there may be some lean times in your life. When you got saved, it doesn't mean that nothing bad is ever going to happen in your life. I think about that pastor. And he was telling his testimony. I'll be honest with you. I was sitting on the second row. And yeah, I was trying not to, but I was sobbing. This, this young man and, you know, his, his wife battling this debilitating disease and she was on all kinds of meds and, you know, he, he wakes up at 4.30 in the morning and you notice she's, she's not there. And she'd gone out in the front yard and taken her own life. She, when he got out in the front yard, the sh- county sheriff was there. She'd called the sheriff's department and told them what she was about to do and told, gave, them, gave them the street address and said, you'll find me in the front yard. This young pastor with four children, his children don't even know. The youngest one's ten, the oldest one's 10 years of age. I'm sitting here listening to this guy tell this story. Man, I'm, I'm just sobbing as he's, as he's sharing this story about his wife battling a terrible, debilitating thing. By the way, everybody's hurting. There are people right now, and you're going through it. And you might look at someone, by the way, and think, man, what's wrong with them? You might have no idea. That's why you've got to be good to people. The Bible says, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. And so there is hurt everywhere. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And he was talking about, you know, I haven't even told my children what happened. I just told them, you know, mom succumbed to the, the disease she was battling and she passed away. Now, I'm sure they'll find out the truth later. And I'm sure someone will probably tell them. But think about that guy. And he's, by the way, he's standing in a pulpit in Montana this morning preaching. And most of us are sitting here trying to figure out where we're going to go eat after the service. I'm telling you, you say, what do you need? David said, I'll tell you what, it was a good day when God said, come to church, because church is one of the best places to get encouragement. He came up to me afterwards, and, and uh, before we left, we were packing up at the camp and cleaning things and so forth, and he, he thanked me for my message and, and testimony. One of the things that I shared was a little snippet about Rebecca, and he said, I'll never forget your story because Rebecca was my wife's name. Oh, he said that, man, then my, here go my eyes again. I started watering, and, and he gave me a hug and told me I'd be praying for you. And, I, I, you know, and, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to be praying for you. His name was Sam. And I've thought a lot about Sam in the last few days. And there were others there with, with, with horrible stories and, and, and tragedy. And you know what we were trying to do to one another this past week? Give a good word. You know you're going to meet somebody who needs a good word today. Will they get it from you? People need a good word. And that's one of the great things about God's house. David said, listen, he said, I can tell you. He said, I've been through it. 
I've been young and I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread because God's house is a place of encouragement. God gives us a boost with encouragement, promise, provision, and protection. Man, I love that. I, I, there were times, I, I can remember times when it was very lean early in ministry. And, and I, boy, I, I could never complain. You all are very good to me and my family. But I can remember times when people brought us groceries because we didn't have anything. I can remember working third shift, pumping gas at a gas station. And I wasn't complaining. I'm not complaining. Don't misunderstand me. I remember the first church I pastored, they wrote us a check and told us, you know, hey, we'll, we'll make this good for you later in the week, but don't go to the bank with it yet. And I said, okay. And he, he called me about Thursday or Friday, and he said, we got the money in there. And I was waiting at the bank for the phone call. No, not, not really, but I felt like it. I remember my dad, when I went into the ministry, dad said, you'll starve. I'm not. It's amazing how good God has been to me. Now, I can pick out some, some moments. I can, listen, I can pick out valleys. You know, I heard a song not long ago, Hills and Valleys, and boy, that's, that's, that's really how life is. But, but He's the God of the hills and of the valleys. And don't focus on those valleys because God wants, uh, wants to smooth those times out in your life. And I've, I've, I, I can't complain. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to poor mouth God. I'll tell you one of the reasons I don't want to poor mouth God. I don't want to be so complaining and critical about when things are bad because I don't want, I don't want my children, my grandchildren, to believe that God can't take care of them and help them. And if we zero in on tragedy and disappointment and heartbreak, and we can do it, we can all do it, and get into the woe is me. You know, there was a time when Job said, he did say this, he said, it, it, would, it would have been better for me that I was never born. God allowed him to write that. But he still said, man, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And so whatever is happening in your life, however bad or disappointing or unsettling or troubling it may be, know this, God's got you. God's in charge. You say, Pastor, does that make it all go away? No. It just means you've got someone there with you. So what are you facing today? I don't know what it is, but God says, in my goodness, I come to you. And then I, I think further about the goodness of God, and I'll relate this later. I don't think we'll get to it this morning. But one of the greatest things about God's goodness is He gives us a space to repent. You say, what do you mean? The Bible says, or despisest thou the riches, Romans 2, 4, <coughs> of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering. Notice this, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Genesis 6, 3, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. Notice he's talking about, this is Revelation chapter 2, one of the letters to the churches. I believe this is Thyatira. And it says, And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. But I want to draw your attention back to the verse we just read in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the last part of that. And it says, The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You know what that means? It means God in his goodness gave you an opportunity and me an opportunity to get right. By the way, if that's evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, it means that we should also practice this right here, and I'll talk about that next week. 
But that means everybody that's ever drawn a breath, God says, I'm going to give you a chance to come back to me. You see, because with sin, there's this great gulf. There's this great conflict. I'll use a simple illustration. It, it, it disappoints me to use it, but I can remember a time in my teen years when I was rebellious against my dad. Boy, there was a strain in our relationship. I wish it never happened. I made it right with my dad. But all these years, particularly since my dad has passed away, man, do I regret it. And young people, let me tell you this, stay right with mom and dad. In fact, I'll say this, you can't be right with God if you're wrong with mom and dad. You cannot be. You say, well, my parents did this. You know who your mom and dad are? Sinners. But you know what you are? Sinner. You know what I am? Sinners. My parents weren't perfect. My parents loved me. My parents saw that I was in church. That was a great thing. I'm here today because mom and dad did that. But I can remember a time when there was that, you know, I knew so much as a 16-year-old. I mean, I was brilliant. I was, I was beyond my years. I had it all figured out. My dad, not so much. In fact, I, th- I thought my dad just, just was out of touch. I realize now my dad was the smartest man I've ever been around. My dad was academically very smart. My wife would attest to that. He was, very, he was, he was brilliant. But I also realize now, all these years later, how much wisdom my dad had. I find myself now sometimes at this point in life repeating and saying, somebody said that to me 40 years ago. Man, why didn't I catch it? But there was a season, it wasn't very long, maybe a few months as I, I can best recall. And I can remember walking through the house and not even speaking a word to my dad. By the way, if that's you, you'll regret it. Just tell you, say, you don't know. No, I don't. But I know this. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. God said that. The Bible says, do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. You say, but, but I've been wronged. Hey, listen, every person here from the platform to the last chair has wronged God. And God is demonstrating His goodness. And so He said, I'm gonna, because of my goodness, the goodness of God leadeth you to repentance. And I remember I heard a preaching service on a Friday night. It was a youth rally. And they talked about relationships with teens and parents. And boy, it was, it was like God was just hitting me over the head and w- wouldn't let up. And I remember thinking on the drive back to our church and then uh, the ride that I got home and, and I got to the house and my mom and dad were already in bed, but my dad was, was back in the back reading. The light was on and I knocked on the door and I went in there and I was crying like a baby. And I said, Dad, I said, I want to tell you I'm sorry. And I asked him to forgive me. I was kneeling beside his bed. I'll never forget it. Just as clear as it, clear as it happened yesterday, I was kneeling beside his bed. I said, Dad, I'm so sorry. I said, that'll never happen between you and me again. And my dad, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a real affectionate hugger or never said I love you a lot, but, but he reached over and put his hand on my shoulder and he said, don't worry about it, son. He said, I forgive you. And that was it. But man, I, I remember when that happened, it was like this. It was that day when there was not only forgiveness, but there was reconciliation and there was restoration. And then I remember the next day, that sweet spirit with my dad, we were out at, for no reason, but we were, I just happened to be with him in a store and my dad wanted to buy me stuff. But you know what I thought? What a picture of God. Because God says, I got all this I want to give you. I want to, I want to demonstrate my love and my goodness to you. But you've got you to understand that space to repent. But he gives the example of the church at Thyatira in the book of Revelation. He says, I gave them space to repent of their fornication, their evil deeds, but they did 
not. He reminds us in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, my spirit shall not always strive. There's that warring with man. For that he is also flesh. And I guarantee you in a crowd this size, there's some of you that God's been really working with. He's been wrestling with your spirit. He's been, been, been on you. He's, he's had you in the crosshairs spiritually. And he said, you need to address this. You need to come clean about this. You need to correct this. You need to make this right. And we've been reluctant. We've been fighting and we've been warring against God and, and, and doing that which we know not to do. And God said, in my goodness, I'm drawing you to repent. By the way, it doesn't mean that that is God always giving us good things. It just says God in his character is so good that he's willing to draw man to him. I heard a testimony a number of years ago of a man. He was a, by his own testimony, he was a drunkard. He, he was an alcoholic, but he called himself a drunkard. He said he preferred to use the biblical terms instead of the medical term. He said, God said, you're a drunkard. And he said, so that's what I was. And he said, but I was, uh, I was driving home, and I was drunk, had a car wreck. And he said, in the car wreck, he said, my arm was pinned. And he said, I wound up losing the arm. He said, but he said, while I was in the hospital, he said, there was a pastor who was visiting someone in the room alongside me, and he asked if he could pray with me. He came over and sat down, shared the gospel, and he said, I got saved. He said, the best day in my life was when I crashed and lost my arm. He said, in fact, I'll tell you what this is. He said, losing my arm was the goodness of God to bring me to a place of repentance. I believe this with all of my heart. We, we, we mistake God's goodness because we think God's goodness is a cupboard full, a wallet that's hefty, a gas tank that's filled, a 401k that's going all right. That is certainly applicable. But God's goodness to each and every one of us you got another day of life, another opportunity to hear the preaching of the gospel, another chance to make right that which was wrong. God's good. And the fruit of the Spirit, goodness, is an element. So let me ask you this, and we'll, we'll be done. God gives us a place. It's His house. It's a place to gather, a place to get, a place to give, and a place to grow. So he doesn't only give us a place, he gives us a space. It's a season. Season means we have no promise of tomorrow. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day you bring forth. The Bible says, what is your life is but a vapor. Appear for a little time and then vanisheth away. You know, at 57, I think, you know, I realize that the window of my life, and if I, if I were a phone, I'd be down in the red line. Okay. You know, if you, if you want to look at it that way, my, my battery would be need a charge. I don't have any guarantee of how long I have. I hope the Lord allows me to pastor here for many, many years. But I could be here today and gone today. And I don't want to miss those windows when God opens it up and says, you can get right, you can make this step, you can make this decision, because I'm giving you a space to do that. Because we have no guarantee that that opportunity is coming down the road. How about you today? What has the goodness of God brought to you? A place? Yeah. To gather, to get, to give, to grow. But also there's that promise of protection and provision. And God's goodness ultimately leads us to repentance. How about you today? There's something in your heart and life. Maybe someone that you have an ought or wrong between another brother. Someone in the church, someone in your family someone at work, and there's been that constant, and you know it's there. 
It's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. But let me just say this. It's not going away. And God gives us those seasons when the Holy Spirit says, you need to get that right. I, I would plead with all of us today, don't push the Holy Spirit away. When God is speaking and God is drawing, it's because God wants to do a work. I said at the outset, this verse, I'm so reminded of it from David. David said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. Here, my wife and I, Lauren, we woke up in Newburgh, Oregon this morning. And God said, I'm thinking about you today. And I woke up and he gave me breath. I woke up, I had the faculties and the abilities to see and to, to dress and to grab a bite of breakfast and gather some thoughts for today. And God was thinking of me. Wherever you're at today, God thought of you today. So much so that He gave you a place and He's giving you a space. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. With nobody looking around, just very, very quickly in way of invitation. I always want to give people an opportunity to respond. Last week and this week's message been a little bit different perhaps for a Sunday morning, but I would imagine in a crowd this size, there's somebody that's not sure about eternity and you don't want to miss it. It's the one thing in life about which you cannot be wrong. Maybe that's you. You say, well, I've been in church all my life. I didn't ask you that, and that won't count for anything when you stand before the Lord. The only thing that matters is, have you been born again? You say, why? Because the Word of God says you must. It's an imperative. You must be born again. If there's someone here today, in fact, I'll ask this just in, as the piano begins to play softly. While you're here, is there... So how many of you would say, boy, pastor, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I know for sure that heaven's my home. I personally have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Would you lift your hand just very quickly, very quickly? God bless you. You can put them down. Not everybody raised their hands. Perhaps you're not able to, but maybe there's someone who would say, you know, pastor, I'm not sure about eternity, and I don't want to miss heaven. I don't want to miss it. I want to know for sure that heaven's my home. Is there one like that? You'd say, pray for me. I won't embarrass you. But if anyone at all, you put your hand up and say, you know, I, I'm not sure about eternity. God bless you. God bless you. Two have raised their hand. God bless you. That's three. You put your hand down as soon as you put it up. God bless you. You've had two adults and a young lady raise their hands. Anybody else say, would you pray for me, pastor? Now, here's what I want to do. If you, if you raised your hands and you're not sure about eternity, I would invite you to come to the altar. And if you hold your hand up when you get down here, we'll get somebody to pray with you. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady pray with you. If you're a man, we'll have a man pray with you. Boy, don't, don't miss heaven. You, you can't be mistaken about that. Then I would speak to all of us, and maybe there's someone here who would say, well, there's something God spoke very clearly to me about. And I realize that today in this moment we have this window, he's given me a space, and I don't want to kick that to the curb. I want to respond. I want to be responsive, be obedient to whatever it might be. I won't even begin to list. I'll just say whatever it is that God's spoken to you about. Lord, would you bless in our time of invitation. May your will be accomplished, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come? Would you mind the Lord? Earnestly, tenderly is the song she's playing. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. Come home. you're here and you want someone to pray with you, let me know and we'll be glad to 
Get someone with you. Those of you that raised your hand said you weren't sure about eternity. I wouldn't try to twist your arm, but if I could, I would. I realize that I can't coerce and I can't talk you into it. But I would plead with you with everything that is within me. Don't miss that. I would tell you, don't leave with the uncertainty about eternity. If you want someone to pray with you, would you, would you let us know? And we'll get someone to pray with you. Anybody at all.